podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. You all right? It's time to enter our football time machine and go back to the decades that we haphazardly label the noughties to the 2000s and to the football of its time. We've got another cracker of a show here for you today. I am Jake from What Is Football and this is episode 56 of the Noughties Nostalgia podcast and today we're going to be looking at your suggestions for underachieving goalkeepers and I did promise it so we're going to be looking at a post-Rafael Benitez Liverpool world in the early 2010s. A reminder that we are on Patreon as well. If you uh, enjoy podcasts like these, five days a week with nostalgic podcasts like these, looking at great games, pitting two players or teams together in head-to-head and looking, of course, at the current day product of football, reviewing and previewing on Fridays and Mondays, as well as a lovely selection of what-if alternate football universes in a... A 15-minute mailbag on a Thursday. Let's get stuck in to today's show, though. And in the most recent Sports Social Podcast Network production, we are going to be looking at underachieving goalkeepers. And I feel as though from the suggestions that we had, which were tweeted to me at whatif underscore YouTube, we may have to use the term underachieving to me, not won enough trophies in the game. I think this seems to be a barometer for a, for a lot of course. In terms of goalkeepers, you can't base it on goals like we have done for underachieving or overrated centre-forwards in the past. Goals, obviously, very rarely do goalkeepers score goals because that's the nature of football, isn't it? And I think trophies is probably the best barometer we have at this um at this juncture so without further ado let's uh, launch into the very first suggestion suggested by george spencer and dazza on twitter that is david de Gea. and as a man united fan i am inclined to agree really um unfortunately george says he should have won a lot more dazza um, on similar lines says only won one Premier League and two Europa Leagues obviously the first one of those coming with Atletico Madrid in 2010 and to be fair yeah um, I have to agree he came into United squad 2011 after the retirement of Edwin Vadasar so United hadn't um, hadn't botched that transition like they had done with Peter Schmeichel to Edwin Vadasar via you know, Taibe. We looked at his one of his well, his final Man United game on the uh, Great Games podcast over there on our Patreon page, the three-three against um, Southampton '99, which obviously uh, covers the the slip through the legs, so to speak, from the ball from a P roller from Matt Letizia, which um, that was a botched job in terms of replacing um, Peter Schmeichel in terms of. Um, replacing Edwin van der Sar. Been there six years, but uh, broke all kinds of Premier League records. David de Gea was um, a young goalkeeper Man United had signed. They'd gone through a couple of years when uh, Ferguson knew he was probably reaching the end of his career, really. Signing players like Chris Smalling, Phil Jones, bringing through Tom Cleverley. David De Gea was a young player as well at the time. Ashley Young was fairly young. Um, nominative determinism, obviously, wouldn't last forever, that one. Um, but 
Ferguson was building a squad for the next man, so to speak. Um, whether or not they would have underachieved like they had done if he'd have stayed is a different question altogether, obviously. Now, David De Gea has had notable dips in form most recently. Um, he had that heartbreak in the Europa League final for Man United, missing the penalty, which you kind of can excuse him missing a penalty because that should a penalty shot should never get to that stage where goalkeepers are taking penalties, when, when obviously it's not like a specialist goalkeeper like a Hans Jörg, but... Uh, Jordan Pickford took one in the Nations League didn't he in a less pressured environment let's be honest in a third place playoff for a tournament that doesn't matter um, but the penalty record of saving penalties um, was quite notable from David De Gea from that respect obviously he's uh, gone on to save a penalty a crucial penalty against West Ham uh, recently in the Premier League but in terms of trophies um, he would have won tons more had he come into the club a lot sooner obviously to won a, a, an extra Premier League if it had come in straight after that um, Europa League winning season for Atletico Madrid and to be fair he has underachieved but I think Manchester United as a whole have underachieved as well we'll see this with quite a few suggestions here um, to come he carried Manchester United for a long long time the David Moyes season um, the Louis van Gaal seasons in particular he was at his absolute peak and to say he was at his peak at around 25-26 for a goalkeeper is phenomenal really when goalkeepers should usually peak around the age that he is now uh, being in his early 30s and unfortunately he was born into the wrong time for Man United in that respect um, he would have been fantastic um, replacing Peter Schmeichel um, in 2005 when Edwin van der Sar did and he, his performances haven't underachieved the team as a whole underachieved and he was probably a big reason why they would qualify for the odd Champions League when they really were performing to a level of 6th, 7th in the post-Ferguson years under the likes of Mourinho, Van Gaal. Obviously his form's coming to a little bit of question with Dean Henderson coming through. He's obviously got another chance at that thanks to uh, Dean Henderson not being fit at the start of the season so we may see a lot more, we may see a resurgence and maybe looking back on his career when it finishes at Manchester United we may not think he's underachieved after that um, but that's of, of course retrospective and we can't determine that yet but for now yes you have to say in terms of trophies he has underachieved I think that is for the most part because of the team he played in and speaking of that Hugo Lloris is the next suggestion, suggested by George Spencer again and James FF on Twitter. Uh, George says Spurs, enough said. And well, I could end it like that, couldn't I? But um, that would be kind of harsh on Spurs. Obviously, like so many players, like David De Gea as well, he had his dips in and out of form. And let's not forget, he's a World Cup winner. And that kind of proves where he would be with an absolutely top, top club. Um, he did have that bit of a rick in the final of the World Cup. The match was won there. They were four one up, and that rick kind of took them to four two. So I'm not, not too bothered about that one. Obviously, his form after that tailed off a little bit. Um, things off the pitch didn't work for him. He obviously had that dislocated elbow, which is this disgusting. Um, I can't remember having seen a um, such a horrific injury. Petr Cech aside for a goalkeeper like that, that was absolutely just vile. Um, but aside from 2015 to 2018 I always felt that he was better than Spurs in a way definitely now um, when they're struggling under Nuno Espirito Santo but between 2015-2018 when Pochettino um, was taking Spurs to their absolute limit the Champions League final putting the pressure on Chelsea um, and Leicester as well to a lesser extent they had one hell of a team and Lloris fitted in well there um, before when they were ascending to that and after 
um, when they've sort of that form's curtailed a little bit under Mourinho, under Ryan Mason, under Nuno as well. They've, um, I feel as though Lloris is bigger, better than the club in some respects. He's like De Gea, dig them out of a hole a little bit, lesser extent than uh, De Gea. But for a time he was up there as one of the best Premier League goalkeepers like De Gea. Um, just unfortunate that both men really playing um, teams in a certain time that underachieved for Spurs, less so um, because they have been challenging for league titles more than Man United. David De Gea, apart from the, the early two seasons under Ferguson, hasn't challenged for a league title. I wouldn't say Hugo Lloris has, um, but that's the closest they ever got, obviously, a couple of cup finals. David De Gea, of course, we must say, had... Um, a League Cup in there as well, whether that matters or not. Um, Hugo Lloris has lost both the League Cup finals he's been a part of. Um, that's more the teams they came up against. Chelsea, Manchester City, you know, the big teams in the land at that, uh, at that stage in time. Another suggestion here, Gordon Banks, suggested by AFC Finners. Um, he says, despite the World Cup win, all he won at club level was two League Cups. One of the greatest ever goalkeepers deserved better than that. Gosh, you've got to agree, Gordon Banks is one of the best goalkeepers around isn't he and um we all remember the, the highlight reels from the world cups in 66 and in 1970 the scoop over the bar from pele the um the fact that england got knocked out when he wasn't around when he was ill um peter bonetti had a bit of a disaster in net um shows the fact that uh england needed a number one like gordon banks and i don't think we've had peter shilton he was very, very good for a long time, record cap holder, of course. But uh, apart from Shilton, I think the England number one shirts weighed heavy on a lot of players. John Pickford's done it justice, I think, in tournaments. Um, David Seaman was doing, but towards the back end didn't so much. I, I think I riled up a couple of people by putting him in the uh, the picture uh, for this post, offering for, asking for suggestions for this topic. Uh, I don't believe that David Seaman has underachieved, of course. He's a multiple-time Premier League winner multiple-time cup winner as well, um, but had a few mistakes in him. Um, but I think uh, Gordon Banks is probably one of the reasons why that England number one shirt is so coveted, and he was one of the best goalkeepers around, perhaps only the likes of Levy Ashin, maybe to an extent Gigi Buffon as well. Maybe only them can uh, say he was. they were better than him, and for that reason, Gordon Banks, yeah, he has to have underachieved, but like... Lloris and De Gea played most of his football at a team that were beneath him, really. Um, at that time, obviously, Manchester United for De Gea, one of the biggest clubs in the world. But De Gea deserved around that time to be more successful to play, perhaps for Real Madrid or something, teams who were winning leagues. Gordon Banks, of course, in the 60s, there was plenty of teams winning stuff. Uh, Liverpool, Everton, Man City, Man United were all kind of dominant around that time. Chelsea we were getting very good leads as well. But Banks chose to stick it out Stoke, and that's probably the only reason why he's um, won so little. Obviously, pales in comparison to a to a World Cup like Hugo Lloris there as well, so won a World Cup. And yeah, on a club level, you have to say he's underachieved, but like the men also mentioned on this list, what a fine goalkeeper um, he was. And next suggested by George Spencer, Jens Lehmann. Um, George says that he blew Arsenal's best chance to win the Champions League. Um... I don't know. I'm, 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 the first one I've kind of ummed and had over, really. Um, he, Lehmann had a fantastic career. Unseated Oliver Kahn with Germany. Potentially could have won that World Cup for Germany. The, you remember the quarter-final against Argentina when 
he um, had all the names on his water bottle, won them that uh, particular tie in the shootout, obviously filled another gloves of a legend on club level at Arsenal, David Seaman. So I think he's done enough in that respect. Trophy-wise, he was the Invincibles goalkeeper. Of course, we can't forget that one in the 2003-04 season. That is feuds with uh, Didier Drogba and uh, when they were pushing each other over at Stamford Bridge, I always remember that one. Uh, but uh, towards the back end of his Arsenal time, obviously Arsenal were moving to the Emirates, he would leave then. Um, kind of caught the back end. It wasn't around too much for for Arsenal, but for Germany, he did very well for the uh, brief time he was selected as their number one and to replace a goalkeeper like Oliver Kahn, let's not forget, he won the Best Player Award at the World Cup in 2002. Must be kind of good. Um, in terms of the Champions League final in 2006, I think, I've done a what if on this recently, haven't I? Um, but in terms of reality, Barcelona probably would have still won it, still snuck it. I know for the what if video, I had Arsenal win it. Uh, maybe that's more for for sure to make something different of the actual reality we had. Maybe Arsenal would have still won it. Maybe. Um, I don't know, but... Um, Lehman, yeah, maybe he did blow Arsenal's chance, best chance he'll probably ever get now uh, for quite some time unless Mikel Arteta turns into Pep 2.0. But that remains to be seen, doesn't it? But I think Jens Lehman on the whole, yeah, one bad mistake uh, bringing down Samuel Leto in that Champions League final in Barcelona, winning it 2-1. Aside from that, um, he has won trophies. Perhaps he would have should have won more um, for the calibre of goalkeeper that he was. Maybe if he'd have signed for Chelsea instead of Arsenal, he would have won those things. Um, but to replace two legends at once in one fell swoop, almost we can and see him. And I, I think it must have been some something very, very good and special to be at the top of his game, to to be deemed better than those. Obviously, those two men, slightly older than him, but still. Lehman, very, very, very good goalkeeper. And to another very good goalkeeper, Thibaut Courtois, again suggested by George Spencer, says that he should have won a lot more at Chelsea. And personally, I find it baffling that he would want to leave Chelsea when he did. Um, he's still in his prime right now, perhaps he's not even entered his prime yet, he would be perfect for Chelsea right now with the team that they have. Um, obviously, Edouard Mendes, a very good goalkeeper, I'm still not sold on Kepa Aretha Balaga yet. Um, and the, Chelsea, I don't think the problem for Chelsea is, uh, uh, they don't really have many problems, but the, the, the problem isn't the goalkeeper, but Thibaut Courtois, he hasn't he hasn't gone through too much of a dip of form at Real Madrid. It's just I think he's gone to a lesser team. Obviously, that's been highlighted in the semi-final of the Champions League a couple of months back when Chelsea quite comfortably beat them in the end, really. Um, Courtois, I think, was for a time one of the best goalkeepers in the Premier League by an absolute mile. And in a league where you've got David De Gea, Hugo Lloris, you know, Edison and Alisson were about to come onto the come onto the scene really for Man City and Liverpool, but Courtois was there. He was... He was, he was a fine goalkeeper when he was younger, like David De Gea coming from Atletico Madrid, obviously spent a couple of years, at, he was always Chelsea's player, but on loan to Atletico Madrid. And in a time where Mourinho was returning, I think Courtois did a very, very good job at that. And I do agree that he should have won more at Chelsea, mainly because he should have stayed. He should still be there now, I don't. It was at a time where Real Madrid were, it wasn't that Chelsea were ascending to like greatness. They'd gone through Conte, Sarri quite quickly. Lampard was there and he was a bit uneasy, I guess, about the future of Chelsea. But if it had he's just stuck out for another 18 months, he'd have been a European champion. Uh, whilst Real Madrid, of course, haven't won the European Cup. They've dipped massively. Cristiano Ronaldo's left. Karim Benzema's slightly getting older, but he's still in form. And um, yeah, they, yeah they, they have won a league title. But apart from that, nothing really. 
Um, and I think Courtois would be perfect for uh, for Chelsea roundabout now, but uh, that's just how it is. And I think in terms of underachievement, in terms of trophies, he has won quite a lot. I think yeah, he just needs the Champions League now to complete the set. Maybe something in the on the international stage, but now I think Belgium have lost their chance. Now um, I think Euro 2016 was their chance. I think the window's closed on them. Um, the FFD Love podcast suggests Rami Shaban um, said he thought he was world class when he first came through at Arsenal. And um, to be fair, I had to rack my mind for a few minutes. Um, I'm not sure if he played, if it was him or not, who played against Man United in a game where um, Almunia came off injured. Lehman was already injured. It might have been him. Um, they got beaten quite handily and I forgot he existed for a long time, like so many of us, like Peggy Arprex had from Liverpool, Charles Etanje of Liverpool. So just another faceless number three goalkeeper that you uh, see on Football Manager and you just instantly bin him off and put him in the reserves. That's the kind of player... I can't say I've had too much um, first-hand experience of his performances at Arsenal. He never really broke through, did he, in a time where Arsenal were kind of short on goalkeepers after after Lehman and settled for Almunia. Uh, maybe he could have been the next, or rather the first, Emi Martinez to break out of that number two role, that dreaded number two role at Arsenal and become um, an FPL manager's dream, Rami Shaban. Um, but uh, I can't see it really. And to underachieve... Surely there must be a promise of um, being good. Um, so no no, um, no offence there to Rami Shaban, but um, I don't think he's of the calibre to even be considered as underachieved because you've got to have at least a promise of being able to achieve. Um, so that's probably a bit too harsh on him. <laughs> but there we go. Um, Craig Gordon suggested by Dean Pope. Um, Dean says he was Britain's most expensive goalkeeper for a time and ended up injured and without a club for a large chunk before resurrecting his career at Celtic. Vividly remember that um, cup final. He was an absolute god. Played like Lev Yashin reincarnated um, with 67 on the back of his shirt as well. <laughs> Surely got to be a homage to Lisbon Lions in there somewhere. Um, yeah, I thought he was going to be excellent. He signed to... Uh, Sunderland, when they got promoted, um, was a fantastic keeper. And I think, I can't remember who it was against, but he made one of the best reflex savers I've ever seen in my life um, in a Premier League game. He's still at Sunderland. can't remember who it was against. I just have a vivid picture of him just scooping it, tipping it over the bar or onto the post or whatever. He was just... What a goalkeeper he should have been, really. I thought he was immense. Um, I think he should have got his move further up the ladder, maybe Sunderland um, stilted him a little bit. I, mean, I think coming in similar circles to um, to a share given, perhaps less ability-wise, um, but I feel as though he always should have moved up that ladder. A share given, like he was always you know, pointed to a move to Arsenal when they were getting very good to replace David Seaman. Never happened. Went to Man City a bit after his time, after his peak there. Um Craig Gordon, I think, is on similar levels to that. I think he should have moved, like, and Arsenal would have been a great suggestion as well after Jens Lehmann. In, like, the late 2000s, early 2010s, when Craig Gordon was at his peak, if he'd have gone to Arsenal, I think he would have, although Arsenal weren't winning anything, Craig Gordon would have been probably around the level that he perhaps should have been and should have ended his career on. But there we are, unfortunately. And another one suggested by Anglo Italian podcast, Andrew. And Joe, rather, uh, Joe Hart, Anglo-Italian podcast, says any keeper really from the last 15 to 20 years, and we've got a few of them um, in the last four suggestions here. Um, yeah, like I say, the Garden Banks, 
factor, him being so good makes um, England's number one shirt quite heavy these days and scrutinised to within an inch of their lives whenever Jordan Pickford makes a howler for Everton. I think we're over that though now because obviously, even though England didn't win the um, European Championships, the performances he had against Germany where he made a couple of world-class saves in the shootout despite a loss of no um, save a Jorginho penalty like that. I think we're over that now, but every mistake gets picked apart. Joe Hart obviously got binned off for Claudio Bravo, the man who um, similarly did get scrutinised, really, um, to be fair, and ushered in Edison after a year of um, Pep Guardiola, wasn't it? And uh, Joe Hart uh, has been around the houses since Torino, Burnley, Celtic as well, I think he's at now, uh, Tottenham. I... I, he did. He has won a couple of league titles, hasn't he? He should have. He had the promise. I always remember the. Um, for some reason, it was a dead game. It was the first game of the season. Man City Tottenham, start of a new era. I think it was the 2010-11 season, or maybe yeah, it would have been that season. Um, he produced. It was nil nil. I don't know why I remember it, but he was fantastic in net, and that was supposed to be the start of him being a number one for a long, long, long time. And obviously, it would be. It would be through the reins of Mancini, through Pellegrini. Um, but I always felt there was something more to him. Um, I, in my opinion, he should have been the number one at the 2010 World Cup for England. Obviously, he was the only goalkeeper that didn't get played for some reason. Obviously, after Rob Green's um, mistake against the United States, David James got drafted in. I think Joe Hart should have been the number one straight from the off. Um, he'd shown great promise for City in the late 2000s, early 2010s. He was it's not a popular opinion, but I think he was up there with one of the best goalkeepers in the league certainly established that number one shirt for England. And then by year of 2016, yeah, I've got a couple of mistakes in there, haven't you? The the bale free kick that should have saved, the the goal against Iceland, which ultimately knocks England out. He should have saved that one. And then I think it's just an accumulation of that, the mistakes and the lack of confidence that obviously gets diminished from that. And we've seen all sorts of players like David James, Rob Green as well, Paul Robinson to an extent, although less so. Um, all have giant mistakes and then the conference just nose dives. Obviously, Rob Green was probably the most high profile of that because of the, even though the magnitude of the error for Joe Hart against Iceland, it wasn't, um, it was more than Rob Green's because it was just in a throwaway group game in the World Cup. But that set the tone for the World Cup for the rest of England's campaign. Obviously, the players weren't kind of happy with that, with the, um, with the nature of their camp being locked away, essentially in a prison. Um, in Northern South Africa. Um, maybe that took its toll, but I think it is an accumulation, as I said at the start, of Gordon Banks' number one shirt being so heavy and the mistakes being picked apart to the nth degree, um, which is why likes of David James, Joe Hart, Rob Green, when they are number one in England, uh, an England shirt, the longevity is not, um, as much as it would be in other countries, for example, I think the Jordan Pickford's probably the longest reigning number one um, for England. Maybe around the same levels as Joe Hart, I think. Um, there's always been a question mark around Pickford, but since David Seaman, I mean, he had a couple of mistakes towards the end of his career, Macedonia in a qualifier. Uh, which was one of his final games for England, may have been his final game. And then obviously, Ronaldinho, Brazil, um, the World Cup quarterfinal there. And whether or not um, this will happen in the future, we've got, seem to be going through a bit of a boon for England goalkeepers or 
potential England goalkeepers. You've got Freddie Woodman there. You've got um, Dean Henderson, Nick Pope. And a couple of, well, Jack Butland, I think he's kind of out of the picture, but he's a suggestion later on, that all could fill that void for Jordan Pickford. So I think that also might prey a little bit on his mind as well. Um, Suggested by Crunch Pro and Harry from Team of Our Lives podcast. David James, great clean sheet record, you've got to say, um, from uh, David James in the Premier League, although I think that may be down to longevity. Rather than quality of the player, did try it at a big club like Liverpool, found his ceiling quite quickly um, to be a Portsmouth-style club, like sort of lower top half, maybe win the odd cup, get to an odd cup final and that. And yeah, I think he was known as, his nickname was Calamity James, and he's probably known for a bit of a cult hero. You know, he's lost his concentration by playing too much of Tomb Raider back in the day. Did pulled an all-nighter on that when he had a game the night the night after. Um, yeah, a bit of a an odd uh, character, but then again, that's a, the the epitome of a goalkeeper, isn't it, really? And um, I think his successor, because he was England goalkeeper 2004 by 2006, Paul Robinson was in again, suggested by Crunch Pro. And I think his level was absolutely perfect on a club side of things. Um, for Spurs around the mid to late 2000s, I think he was absolutely where he should have been. Um, may have lost it somewhere along the line there. And a bit like Jack Butland, suggested by Josh T. Roberts. Um, and again, a lot like Joe Hart, I think Jack Butland could have kicked on. Paul Robinson could have as well. Um, maybe Jack Butland may have been England number one had Joe Hart not existed. Funnily enough, um, I think if he was England number one, he would have got a lot more recognition and he would have got that move. He stayed at Stoke City way too long. Um, should have left when they went down, or at least the first after the first season, when it was clear they weren't going to return. Um, Aaron Ramsdale's manufactured two moves off the back of relegations. It's not hampered him. He's the Arsenal number one by now. Um, and I think Jack Butland could have been that. He could be Arsenal's number one right now, or at least a top half number one. And it's a shame, really, because um, I think his career's just sort of uh, plateaued a little bit. Um, he's, I think he may be at Crystal Palace as a number two now. Um, the fact that I don't know shows that his um, career's uh, put a, not that I'm fountain of knowledge, but um, for a former England number one, you kind of know where all the goalkeepers are. <laughs> it's the quite a specialist um, position where only like seven or eight potential goalkeepers could be that number one for a breadth of time, six, seven years. Jack Butler was in that, not anymore. Um, and for that, I do think you have to under- say hey, he has underachieved. Like a, a David James, like a Joe Hart, um, Paul Robinson less so. Um, I think he found his level quite well. Um, I don't think he was ever earmarked as this world beater goalkeeper. And for Spurs, sort of sixth, fifth, seventh, that's those sort of sort of places. Um, around that time, I think he was perfect for that. I don't think he could have been anything more. I think he was um, pretty much a stopgap for until Joe Hart came to the fore. Obviously, he's, he didn't make the 2010 World Cup squad. He'd taken a bit of a drop off then. Um, but another man who I think you can quite rightly claim that he has massively underachieved, if only for his championship manager um, promise on um, the 2001-2 edition, Richard Wright, suggested by Jonah. So much more was promised from him. He was always the number one England goalkeeper on championship manager 01 or 2. Go fire that up, play, play a season. I even don't, just play the first game. 
for England, just holiday up to September, I bet you will be number one for England rather than a David Seaman, rather than anybody else around that time. And England were quite blessed with goalkeepers around the 90s, 2000s. You got your Tim Flowers, you got your Ian Walkers, Richard Wright. Unfortunately, um, fell into that. Had a great early start to, um, or rather, at the end of the 90s with Ipswich Town as they were trying to get promoted. Him alongside names like Matt Holland, Kieran Dyer were all tipped for greatness. Um, Richard Wright, probably the most of that, maybe. Maybe aside from Kieran Dyer, maybe. Um, he was supposed to be the one, wasn't he? Signed by Arsenal from a young age, supposed to be Arsenal's. Supposed to be the success of a David Seaman. Never quite happened, which is why you get Jens Lehmann coming into Arsenal and Richard Wright. Maybe confused with another goalkeeper but I'm pretty sure he was Man City's number two or number three or even number four um, when they uh, when they were you know ascending to trophies and that at the start of the 2010s and in that double winning season in 2001-2 he did play um, I think the majority of Arsenal games he definitely shared it was more of a 50-50 split with David Seaman but he was definitely there or thereabouts in terms of playing more games than David Seaman so officially was number one for a little bit, um, for one reason or another, just didn't get the longevity out of him, and he was supposed to be like you see those, you see those haphazard sort of the England team in ten years time for the twenty thirty World Cup or whatever, and he would be, so say the year of two thousand and eight team, he was almost guaranteed to be named in that in that starting lineup, but unfortunately it didn't came. Nothing came of it, and he is the poster boy for this. Perhaps I should have put his picture on the uh, on the old uh, Twitter post, not to annoy anybody else. But um, there we have it, the most underachieving goalkeepers, according to you, the listeners and followers on uh, What If Football. So, after the short break, we promised it, so we will deliver it. Post Rafael Benitez and Liverpool. After these, quick advertisements. Welcome back. The year was 2004. Rafael Benitez was in. He'd got his boys in as well, both in the dugout and on the pitch. Xabi Alonso most notably, of course. And Liverpool underachieved in England, really. Finished fifth in the Premier League. Lowest finish for quite some time there, a few years. Maybe the start of Gerard Houllier's reign, 2003 perhaps, um, with the uh, £20 million match there. But Rafael Benitez's best match for, well, rather in his career, um, would be... One of Liverpool's best nights ever. Certainly their best night in Europe. Istanbul 2005, Milan. Of course, Liverpool win the Champions League for the fifth time and gain access, a return to the Champions League whilst Everton also follow them into the tournament. Wouldn't be in the group stages unlike Liverpool. And um, Liverpool, they wouldn't retain their Champions League. They would lose to Benfica. Ronald Koeman's Benfica, let's not forget. And um, by that point, though, Liverpool had stabilised domestically. They'd won the FA Cup in another 3-3 final in another classic, all-time classic moment, all, another all-time classic um, performance from the likes of Steven Gerrard. And by this point, Rafael Benitez, I think um, 2006-7-8, attuned to the English game, you've got... Um, a mixture of a stable, stable domestic performances continually being in that top four they'd make another Champions League final of course but to um, less success in Athens against Milan and you'd get towards 2008-2009 you'd, you'd get Liverpool creeping up they, you'd have them more as Jose Mourinho was leaving Chelsea Liverpool would be around third, fourth 
Then when Mourinho left and there was sort of a little window for Liverpool to sneak in through Rafael Benitez, you'd get them being second or third. And 2009 was probably, in my in my experience of football, Liverpool's first title push, you may say. I mean, they finished second in 2002, but kind of usurped Manchester United in the last couple of weekends when the, um, when the league title was won by Arsenal and sort of they dropped out and Man United really in 2002 were the title challengers which is why I remember Will Tor scoring against Manchester United at Old Trafford rather than anything Arsenal did against Liverpool that season so they, they obviously they, they come over the the failures of Graham Zunes the reign of Roy Evans good cup team under Gerard Houllier but now they'd firmly established themselves under Rafael Benitez as a Premier League team a proper Premier League team the title push the 4-1 win at Old Trafford March the 14th 2009 don't even have it written in my notes it's scarred into my brain as a Man United fan um, there's Steven Gerrard kiss on the camera should have won the title that season may have won the title um, had it not been maybe for um, Rafael Benitez's implosion at the turn of uh, the year 2009 the facts the facts press conference maybe proved to be a bit of a watershed you do have you do have them dropping out of the Champions League in the uh, following season 2010 um, maybe the form didn't drop off too much towards the back end of the 2008-9 season but um, certainly I think Alex Ferguson Man United got a bit in uh, Rafael Benitez's head obviously you do have the likes of Xabi Alonso leaving Javier Mascherano would leave as well Tom Hicks and George Gillette's botched takeover of the club finally ends um, in 2011 and of course that came with Liverpool's drop off in form and it dropped off financially for them on the cusp of administration and for a team as big as Liverpool arguably the biggest in England certainly in the top two that is an absolute disaster and how would it get to that obviously there's, there's certain transfer dealings that ensured that it wouldn't help out on the pitch. Jabby Alonso was replaced by Alberto Aquilani, which on paper sounds like the perfect replacement, but unfortunately Aquilani failed to live up to that. They're finishing seventh place. They're out early in the Champions League. They're out early in the Cups as well. And then you get the the reign of Roy Hodgson and the signings, probably under the duress of the financial situation. Let's not forget of John Joe Shelby, Milan Jovanovic, Christian Poulsen, Brad Jones, Raul Morelis, Paul Koncheski, all Liverpool legends to this very day. Um, no, but all of them would leave quite quickly, maybe with the exception of Brad Jones, who was um, a number two goalkeeper, really, there. Um, so Liverpool, by that January, they're in 13th place after a Merseyside derby. Kenny Dalglish, um, he comes in, hadn't got off to a, a bit of a start, but he would steer Liverpool to sixth place. Wouldn't be burdened by Europe, of course, um, for the season after, because Birmingham won the League Cup and seventh place um, meant no Europe for Liverpool. Luis Suarez would be bought in the interim, would get the better of him in terms of his form in the, well, as gradually as you keep going, the 2011-12 season, the 2012-13 season. Um, Dalglish ends his second spell as manager at the club, with two cup finals, um, a cup final win over Cardiff on penalties in the League Cup earlier on in the season, then the uh, FA Cup final lost to Chelsea, and they finish in eighth place. Then we get the Brendan Rodgers era, and not to be fair, not instant success. Luis Suarez doubles his goal tally. Liverpool finish seventh again, no success in the cup before finally. They all converge on the 2013-14 season. It's Luis Suarez, Raheem Sterling, Daniel Sturridge. You get 101 goals scored in the league. You got the slip, though, ultimately, which then feeds into Chris Dambol and then 
the 16 undefeated games between January and late April collapses into a Manchester City title win 24 years on from Liverpool's previous league title win in 1990. Of course, Luis Suarez would leave that summer after a biting controversy with Giorgio Chiellini and the signing of him by Barcelona. Raheem Sterling would leave the following year for Manchester City and then Brendan Rodgers would be sacked a few months into the 2015-16 season bringing in the likes of Jurgen Klopp and he would begin to build his team by selling one of their richest assets. Now of course you've got the FSG ownership firmly entrenched in Liverpool with Jurgen Klopp. It was a smart um, managerial decision of course you've got to say now and the, the selling of Coutinho for 143 million to bring in Alisson and Virgil van Dijk is probably the most important transfer of the past maybe 10-15 years and ultimately it would return Liverpool to the riches of the Champions League perhaps more importantly the riches of the Premier League 30 years in the making of course and that is all we've got time for on today's show. Next week on the Naughty's Nostalgia podcast, episode 57, we'll be looking at the greatest England midfielders. Maybe I'm going to spark a debate there, the debate that I don't want to get into. One of the two debates, really, Gerard Lampard or Skulls. Um, probably in second place behind the Ronaldo-Messi debate for how tedious and boring it is, but I'll promise not to launch into one of those debates. Um, maybe I'll get you... Um, to launch into the debate for me on Twitter but uh, let me know who is the best England midfielder on Twitter at whatif underscore YouTube if you got to this far in the episode but until then see Network.